wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and before we get to our episode today, we want to hear how we can make Fifth Draw better for you. Do you have a topic you'd like us to cover? Or a guest you'd like us to get on? Please let us know. Now, enjoy the episode. And our guest today is Christina Woods. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here, Matt. Oh, glad to have you on board. Um, Christina, what are we going to be talking about today? All right. Well, today we are going to be talking about the uh, the first five books in each of Tamara Pierce's series that she has set in the realm of Tordal. So this is uh, this is a kind of young adulty fan fantasy series, right? Yeah, I would describe it as in in, a, in as few words as possible. I would describe it as feminist kind of middle fantasy. Okay. So what's the first book that we're going to look at? All right, first book we're going to look at today is Alana, the First Adventure, which is the first book that Tamara Pierce wrote for that she ever set in the realm of Tordal itself. Okay, um, so let's uh, let's take a look at this book. Let's um, let's dig in a little bit, kind of on on who's in it and kind of the storyline, and then we'll we'll kind of dig around that a little bit more. All right. Okay. Well, the the main character of the book is Alana of Treebond. Uh, she's kind of an author self-insert uh, because Tamara Pierce has red hair and kind of blue eyes and Alana has red hair and purple eyes. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting kind of aspect there. Um, Alana is a twin. Uh, she and her brother Thom are 11 years old and when the book starts they are being sent off by their distant jerk hole of a dad to go to what is essentially in this world finishing school. Thom is going to go be a knight because he's a boy and Alana is going to go learn to be a prim and proper lady because she's a girl. And neither one of them are happy about this. <laughs> is that is that just uh just like we're young kids and we just don't like our parents unhappy or is that a, no, a deeper unhappiness? It's 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 a deeper unhappiness, I would say, because uh because Alana is probably charitably described as a tomboy. Um, she's always enjoyed being outside, going hunting, camping, fishing, um, and Thom has always enjoyed reading and learning. At one point they're uh, at one point they're their man of arms, the the guy one of the guys who is in charge of paying attention to them and really taking care of them because their dad doesn't do it, uh, he says that Thom would be Thom would make the other soldiers at the that that this guy Coram had known laugh at him because Thom can't do jack squat as far as like outdoors wear or any kind of the fighting arts. Whereas Alana is like she can she can shoot she can hunt she can track, and but then by the same token, uh, Thom has much more of interest in academics and magic than Alana does. And both of them are skilled in magic, which in Tamara Pierce's Tordal books is called the gift. Okay. And yeah. So there's some nice there's some nice um, kind of gender reversal going oh, on. Oh yeah, there. definitely. Gender gender roles play a pretty big part in, especially in the Tordal books that Tamara Pierce has written, um, and we can talk more about those later because it's a it's a yeah. big recurring theme. Okay, um, so what's um, real quick? Let's uh, let's dive into that. Is is there a deeper plot that goes on here? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, let's dive into the plot a little bit of this book. Okay, well, the the big plot that really gets kick started is that after being told that they're being sent off to go 
Thom to go be a knight and Alana to be a lady, a proper lady, both of them meet in a, they go hide in their bedroom and they say, we are not doing this. So we're going to switch places. And it's the, it's the classic switcheroo of the, of the girl cuts her hair and pretends to be a guy. And then they dress, they dress them up in one of Alana's old dresses so that he looks like her and she looks like him. And they managed to convince their, essentially like, the, like their nurse made their, their godmother, I guess you could say. And she is able, and she's, she's not really happy about it, but she's willing to go along with this switcheroo scheme so that Alana can go be a knight and Thom can go learn magic because the place where Alana was going to go also trains the mages and the wizards of their country. Nice. Okay. So, presumably, there's there's a journey that happens for these two characters oh. in here. Oh, yeah. Definitely. There's um, Part of the big one is that before they start out, their, their, their maid has... She also is skilled in magic, but she's not nearly as powerful as the twins are. And before they go, she has she decides, you know what? No, I have to I have to talk to the gods about this. I have to see if what's going on is if this is the right thing or not. And so she does this magic ritual where she's supposed to be able to see something happening or to, you know, to hear some kind of a divine omen about, yes, this is the right thing to do or no, you're crazy. These kids are crazy. Don't listen to them. And she doesn't see anything. But in this ritual, Alana sees a giant city made out of black stone, which pops up a lot more in the rest of the book. And it's it's ominous and it's creepy. And when the ritual's over, the maid's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to go ahead with this. And Elena's like, but I saw this black city. And Thom was like, what did you see? You weren't supposed to see anything. What did you see? This is so cool. And Elena's like, I don't know. I'll worry about it later. Which is, <laughs> which is, which is a big part of her character. Just the... Not necessarily procrastination, but just, nope, I'm dealing with this later. Okay, and I can't imagine that causes her any grief at all. Oh, no, not at all. No, it's perfectly, a, it's it's a good way to deal with the world. Um, what Once they get to their schools, yeah. does the story follow them both, or do we just focus on Alana, or... Oh, it, may, it mainly follows Alana, yeah. Thom, okay. Thom doesn't. Thom becomes more of a more of a secondary character uh, over the over the quartet of books that really focus on Alana. Uh, Thom Thom communicates with her through letters, but he only makes an in person appearance a couple of times because he's off doing his magic school thing. Okay, so what happens once she gets to school? Well, once she gets to school, uh, she is actually going to. Uh, She's she's becoming a knight at the in the in the not the city the country's capital, uh, the city of Chorus, and she and when they get there they have a snag because the guy who's in charge of training all the all the young noblemen who are going to be knights says we don't have your name on record because she's pretending to be Alan instead of Alana, and she then continues her lovely trend of being able to lie on a dime and says, well, I don't think our dad ever told the court that we even existed. And the guy who's in charge <laughs> says, yeah, you're probably right. I'll just make sure that you're in the roles then. And so she successfully passes herself off as a boy when she gets to the city, which is, which is a blessing in disguise. Okay. At least, at least for a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I can imagine yeah. that, again, nothing bad will happen there. Oh, yeah. No, nothing bad happens there. Let's let's pull back a little bit and mm-hmm. let's look at the cast of characters and how they yeah. move Alana's journey forward. Okay. Well, the main... I guess I'll give you the, the top three... Well, top four really characters that are important in okay. in the first like in the fir- in the first part of this book, uh, the first one probably would be that she meets first is George, who is a very charming thief that lives in the that lives in the castle, not in the castle, but he lives in the city of Chorus, kind of like in the commoners slum area. He is a very charming guy. He's a thief, and he has a big nose. And Tamer Pierce makes it a point to mention that he has a large nose every single time that he appears. So I guess she's got a thing for big noses. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the next character is probably Prince Jonathan, Crown Prince of Tordal, uh, who is also training to be a knight. And he meets Alana on her on her first day of training to be a knight when she is in the middle of fighting this guy that Jonathan doesn't like. So it's kind of a it's kind of a I don't like him, but and you don't like him either. So we're friends now, kind of thing. But it's also okay. an but it's also a thing about Alana is very blunt and doesn't put up with stuff from especially from bullies. And Jonathan likes that, so she gets welcomed into his inner circle, into the inner group of pages and students that are learning how to be knights at this place. And then the, I guess the third one is probably uh, Miles of Olau. He is, he's one of the teachers that's teaching the the pages how to be knights. And he, I think they describe at one point as like the shaggiest dancing bear in all of Chorus. Because he's just this big, happy... Kind of, kind of on the chubby side, guy, and he teaches them ethics, and he's that cool professor where, like, somehow the conversation is never really about it's never really about the class, but you always come out feeling like you learned a lot from the class. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and then the last one is probably uh, Relon of Malvin, and in case you can't tell by the incredibly subtle name, he's the bad guy and the bully that Alana fights uh, during the first half of the first book. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a very he's, villain he's just, name. He's just a pig, and yes, okay. it's, it's a very it's a very villainous coded name. Yeah, like I imagine him with greasy black hair already. So I think he's greasy blonde, but oh. yeah. Okay, so what else do we need to cover about Alana um, before we continue diving into this world? Well, I would say that probably the the main points of Alana is that, at least of the first book, is that she she doesn't. She is very determined to be a lady knight, the first woman knight in in the realm of Tordal in centuries. Because years ago, I guess one of the kings decided that they wanted to that ladies didn't have any place in being knights. And Alana grew up and said, "You know what? I'm going to be a knight, and I'm going to do it by disguising my gender." And then. On the day that I become a knight, I'm gonna, you know, like do like the clothes tear off and be like, it was me all along, and I'm a girl. But now I have my now I have my knighthood, and you can't take that away from me, even even if I'm a girl, because I already proved it. So her the whole first book is her kind of progressing towards this towards in her training to be a knight. But then there's also a very a very important element of, I guess I guess divine choice. Because a lot of things happen around Alana that 
that some people, not all the characters, but some people in the story, especially Miles and Jonathan, pick up on because, you know, like, there's something that's not normal about her. Like, she has these incredible magic powers, and she's, and, like, people can't, like, people can't tell what she's thinking if they have magical talent. Sometimes they can use it as telepathy, but, like, they can't tell what Alana is thinking, and they can't, like, track her, and she's protected from, like, some accidents and things. And so, and as the quartet, as the quartet of books progresses, that, that kind of, I guess, like, divine influence on her only comes into greater and greater play, and I would say it's, that's probably biggest in the fourth book in this, in this quartet, um, but it continues in the rest of the universe as well. Okay. And the other big thing is, uh, is gender roles, because for, for the, for the whole, I'd say probably, like, the first, like, one and three quarters books in this series, uh... Alana is pretending to be a boy to almost every person that she meets with the exception of like three people and it and it takes it does take a toll on her because there is in the first book uh, she gets her first period and she doesn't know what on earth is going on and she's and she's so scared of what's happening at one point she says like I'm going to use my magic to make myself stop having periods and just because she is so scared that having it is going to is going to i guess like devalue the work that she's putting in to become a knight and to and to devalue herself as a person because she honestly didn't know that having a period was a thing but then she actually talks to George's mom who tells her you know like this isn't something you can really stop but it doesn't make you a less valuable person or a less valuable knight in training just because you have a period once a month. As And as the books progress, uh, Alana becomes more comfortable in, in her own skin and as a woman. Now, notably, she does, there's never, there's never any, like, indication of, like, of her being trans or having any kind of gender, gender dysphoria, but, because uh, she's definitely a girl. But that's something that I'm sure that Tamir Pierce will probably address in a future book series because she's got a lot of ideas. Okay, and that that sounds like that sounds like something that's especially for the time frame. This this kind of sounds like '80s '90s. Yeah, kind of fantasy writing. Yeah, it was it was pub. The first book was published in '83. Okay. So, I mean, ha- ha- even addressing that kind of um, even addressing that kind of like almost gender dysphoria but not quite kind of thing is I would say something that would be a lot more commonplace like nowadays and it was really I I can't I can't speak to it because I haven't done like historical analysis of young adult literature in the in the 1980s but it feels like something that was really kind of groundbreaking at the time yeah I would guess so I and it sounds like something that's just probably really important and really probably was had a foundational impact on some of the readers had a foundational impact on me. Yeah. I, I didn't have to read about girls being, oh, I got rescued by you. Oh, I'm so thankful. Like, no, Alana's out there cracking cracking people's faces open and doing push-ups and beating up the people who are telling her that she can't do stuff. Nice. That really does sound like something that's still kind of lacking even in our own day and age, sadly. But progress, progress is being made. Yeah. Okay, so what's going to be our second book? 
Okay. The second book in in the in the Tordal universe is called I think it's called Wild Magic, I think. The first book is called Wild Magic. Oh no, it's the Immortals Quartet and the first book is Wild Magic. Okay. That's what it's called. Uh the second quartet uh stars a girl named Dane and she has a very tragic backstory um which is that uh it it does it's not too much of a spoiler but when she was but she doesn't have a dad um her her mother uh raised her on her own and they weren't necessarily like accepted in her in Dane's little mountain town that she lived in but one one i think it was like early winter when this happened in the book uh their their village got attacked by bandits and Dane's entire family was killed and so, and she had to run away from home because the villagers were so scared of her, I guess, or, uh, or or con- they were scared of her and concerned for her, and they didn't want her there anymore. So she had to literally pack up like the one and a half bags of things that she could save from their house and travel with the only horse she had left to get away from this from this fill in the blank hole of a town that she grew up in. All right, so we've got a we've got a much more tragic figure this time. <laughs> yes, she does have a happy ending though, which is which is good to know. Um, but her her book starts out with her going to this trading fair kind of job fair thing that happens um, where people are. It's in it's in kind of the northern region reaches of Tordal, um, kind of up by the mountains. And Dane goes to this fair, and she gets hired on by this lady named Onwa. Who is who works to essentially manage the horses for the royal family of Tordal and their and their militia groups? The Lady Onua is like, okay, like what's going on with Dane? Cause she's she's really good with the horses, like more like supernaturally good with the horses. Like she talks to them like they're people, and that's and that's really weird to Onua because she is used to just like okay, like. Like, you're going to go this way, here's a carrot. But Dane is like, I need you to go with me, please, and I'm going to take care of the of your feet because you have this rock stuck there, and I know this is going to hurt, but it's going to come out. And Ono was like, why are you talking to them like they're people? <laughs> it's, it, it's, a very, it's a very interesting interview for a job. Okay. Yeah. So is this another uh, magic gift? Is this a magical gift or... No, it's it's a, it's a magical gift, um, but it's different from from the magic powers that from the previous book Alana and Thom have. What Dane has is called wild magic, and I'd say it's it's a lot more chaotic in nature. Um, it can't be like controlled or created or like inspired. I guess like there's nothing that you can do to there's nothing that you can like choose to do to gain wild magic you're just born with it okay and danes in particular is linked to mammal to not well not mammals specifically but animals and like so she can so she can communicate with and understand uh pretty much any vertebrate animal that she comes into contact with nice okay yeah and her main danes quartet of books are all about the the i guess i guess re-entry into their into their mortal plane um, by these creatures that are called immortals, 
um, which are creatures that we would regard more so as fantasy creatures. Like, there's dragons, there's fairies, there's flying horses. But then by the same token, uh, there's also creatures that Tamer Pierce creates called, uh, called, like, spidrons, which are, which are, like, giant spiders, like, we're talking, like, six to eight feet tall spiders with human faces. Nope. Which it, yep, which nope. is a giant, nope, but it's okay, they're on the bad side, and they get killed a lot in the books, and there, and it's never a point of, like, oh, I killed, it's like, nope, we killed it, it's dead, let's move on, so... As and as then, it should yeah, be with the as it as it should people. be with spiders with human faces. Oh. But there's there's an the the main the main immortal that the series I get that this quartet focuses on is Stormwings, which are essentially murder birds. They have human heads and torsos, but then they're but then they have wing they have bird wings and bird feet and bird tails, and but all their feathers are made out of steel. So they're shiny flying metal murder birds. And their whole their whole shtick is that they is that they are desecrators of the battlefield. Like they eat the dead. They can like inspire waves of fear in people. And it's not even the most terrifying thing in the quartet, but they're they're the, they're the main immortal that Dayton, I guess fights against. Okay. That um that seems pretty great. I mean, <laughs> I I love me a good murder bird. Yeah. So what's what's kind of what's the plot of this story? Of of Dane's books, you mean? Yeah. What's of what's the plot of Wild Magic and kind of touching a little bit on the rest of her uh, her series of books? Okay. Uh, well, the first book in Dane's Quartet is mainly about a journey towards, I guess, acceptance and finding a home because. Like I said, she starts out the book literally running away from the burned out shell of her former house. And uh, through and throughout the books, um, we end up meeting uh, we end up meeting some characters from the previous quartet. Um, like Alana plays a pretty important role in Dane's first book. Um, Jonathan by this time is king and she and he works with Dane on a couple of things. Um, but the first book is really about Dane learning to find her place with with who she is, with learning to accept her magic talents, because she didn't know that what she had was magic. She thought it was just, oh, I just have a knack for animals. That's how they describe it in the books, but no, it's magic. Okay. So she has to come to terms with being with having this magic talent and with not necessarily being like quote unquote a normal person. And but then she makes she makes her place among the among like like the high i guess like you could say like the high powers in in tordal in the government among the cast of characters and in and of course this journey to finding a home involves traveling across the country with a group of people that are training to be in the militia and they fight and they they find griffins and they, at the end they have to fight off of a rogue pirate fleet that is from from a country that is almost at war with Tortle, but it's not official, so it's they call themselves pirates, but they're not really pirates. And they have to fight off they have to fight off a flock of murder birds and a giant army and like like death like death war barges and so it's it's a big epic battle at the end, but 
the book fi the book finishes this is this isn't a spoiler but the book finishes with, with Dane happy and healthy and I think she's offered like 14 different places to live and be happy and be happy at by by the cast of characters who have become her friends and her family over the course of the book nice I mean yeah. you had me when you said pirates yeah <laughs> I'm on I mean, board already. They're, they're not. They're not yo ho ho pirates. They're more. They're more military or more militarized pirates. But still. I'm, still, you, you get me some pirates on a boat. I'm pretty happy with that. I'm still mm -hmm. a sucker for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, even though they're kind of garbage now. But whatever. Um, <laughs> so, um, we've we've talked about about Dane pretty well. So. Mm -hmm. Who are who are some of the the side characters that she has? Uh, some of Dane's side characters, probably the most the most important to talk about would be um, would probably be uh, Numer Salmaline, uh, who is who is in case you can't tell by the name, he is a wizard. Uh, he is that's, a that's a pretty wizard name. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a very showy wizard. I think Tamer Pierce said in an interview that every every wizard or mage character that I ever write has an element of David Copperfield to him. And and he and Numer is overdramatic. He chose the name Numer Salmaline for himself because he didn't think that his birth name was showy enough. Oh, I think and, I might love this garbage boy. Yes. And he is he is overdramatic. Um, there is a point at which Dane has, uh, Dane gets herself into a bit of trouble, but she gets out of it, and at one point she says, like, I was just trying to talk to the dolphins, and he's like, you were trying to talk to the dolphins? And people have to tell him, like, go calm yourself down until you can talk and then come back. <laughs> and oh, man. He, he, he is a very extra character. He, and of course he's also the most possibly one of the most talented and overpowered mages in the entire Tordal universe. <laughs> oh gosh, that 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 sounds so good. Yeah. That's uh... he he is he is quite the card. Oh. What uh, a good little extra boy. Yeah. Yeah. He he also serves as Dane's teacher in in learning about wild magic because he is the only person at the time that they know of who has any knowledge of it whatsoever. And so he's the only one who really can tell her like, okay, like here's what you might try and do, even though the magics that we have aren't the same thing, this is what you should try next. Whereas someone else would be like, I don't even know what you're doing. Go talk to some more animals. He, ha he has a more, he has more training and education in how to get Dane to where she needs to be magic wise. Okay. Yeah. And I guess otherwise, um, the big the big antagonist of the quartet doesn't really appear until the second book in the series. Um, but she also has a really cool horse. Uh, her horse's name is Cloud, and she has possibly the most common sense out of any non-human character in this quartet. <laughs> she's just nice. a really cool horse. She okay. can't talk or anything, I'm... but but she has she's essentially like Dane's, I guess like like mother figure kind of because okay. Dane's mom, because mom is dead. Uh, but they've been, Dane, Dane is, has, Dane has had Cloud for so long that, that they are family to each other. And so, Dane, and so Cloud was the one like, okay, like you've been sitting here 
for hours, you need to go eat something, or like, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna stand here and like, horse kick whoever, whoever tries to come and attack you, that kind of thing. Oh, that's fantastic. It's really great. Okay, so um, before before we jump to to our third book, um, what's what's kind of the the end result that we need to carry forward um, going on in the in the series? The point of Danes would be that would be that it's would be that it's very important to be able to adapt to different circumstances and to know that no matter what uh, no matter what your living situation is, no matter who you are as a person, that you will be able to find people that accept you and value you, uh, value who you are as a person. And that I guess like that the world is like, like there, that their world is not necessarily a terrible place and also save the environment because Dane really loves animals. (laughs) Okay. Solid messages there. I'm, I'm liking the direction these, these books are going. So Mm -hmm. what's going to be our third book? Okay. Our third book is, uh, the book First Test in the Protector of the Small series. And this goes, and the Protector of the Small Quartet goes off the tracks from, uh, from the previous two quartets that we've, that we've touched on so far. Um, and that the protagonist of, of this quartet, uh, her name is Caladry of Mendelin, and she is a complete muggle. Nice. She, she has she has no magic skills. She doesn't have wild magic. She can't talk to animals or turn into animals. She can't heal the sick or make fire with her mind or whatever. She's just Caladry, or Kel as her as her nickname is. But what but what what I would say that her main like character trait as a person is that she is she is she's fair. Uh, she's very caring and kind. But maybe the biggest thing is that she is stubborn and determined, and she doesn't shy away from hard work. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So a good, a good, good mundane. If if we're gonna have to have a, a more mundane, muggleish character, this seems mm-hmm. like a good one. Oh yeah. Her uh, Kel's care Kel's story uh, through the quartet is that she wants to be the first. Where where Alana wanted to be the first, the first female knight in centuries, you know, I'm just gonna pretend to be a boy, and then surprise, I'm a girl. Uh, by the time that Kel's books come around, um, Jonathan has made it legal for women to become knights, and so Kel wants to be the first legal woman knight. Awesome. And yeah, and in but in doing so, Kel has to fight against. She is literally fighting against the patriarchy and against misogyny because when when Kel goes to start her training, uh, the guy in charge of running running all the training for the pages, uh, the different guy from Alana's quartet, uh, the new guy is, his name is Wilden, but the people in the books call him the stump because he is dry and dull and stuck in his ways and doesn't show a lot of emotion. And he decides that the fairest thing to do to help Kel is to keep Alana from being in contact with her, so that so that like Alana can't help Kel out at all, and that Kel is going to have to work like twice as hard as everyone else, and she has to be on probation for a year before she can really start her training. 
Oh man, that sounds totally fair. Yeah, so like, I'm going to be fair to you by making everything a thousand times harder for you as opposed to the regular guys that are in training to be knights. That's... Yeah. Man, I'm glad our real world doesn't work (laughs) like that, right? I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that topic. That's for a a whole other podcast that is not this one. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. That was a little baity. I apologize. No, it's Um, okay. So, so he, this guy has stripped her of like the one person who has been here before. Yes. So how does Kel deal with this? Um, well, uh, part of, part of Kel's background is that, uh, she and her family, um, before the series started, the series started before the series started, uh, they were living in, uh, what is Tamara Pierce's equivalent of Japan. They'd been living there for six years as part of uh, as part of an embassy to hopefully work towards building a building a diplomatic relations and a positive government relationship between the two countries. And while they were there, um, they kind of Kel and her family really internalized um, this country uh, this country Yamans. They really internalized their customs. One of which is is be very emotionally closed off, like they're the ultimate conceal don't feel kind of country and how they carry themselves. Okay. And, uh, and so Kel's big, how Kel is able to work towards overcoming this, this misogyny and mistreatment, this unfair treatment from training master is to, is part of it is just to not show how angry and frustrated she is with this whole situation because she knows like, Showing how angry I am isn't necessarily going to help me in the situation. And the other big component is that, like I said at the beginning of this, of talking about this quartet, is that she is a hard worker. Like, she's she's that one kid who is, like, staying in the library until 1 a.m. and hiding from the librarian just to get more work done. She's the kid who is staying after practice and and running drills for an extra hour and a half after everyone goes home and just working and working and working. Um, but she also, for the most part, knows her limits. She's not, she doesn't necessarily overwork herself. Okay. And she also makes a lot of friends, which is something that Alana doesn't necessarily do because being the, being the fight me kid doesn't really make you a lot of friends naturally. No, but but Kel makes a lot of friends, including she makes friends with a flock of birds that live outside of her room at the castle, and they essentially become her little, like, reconnaissance scouts. Nice. It's it's super cute. And she gives them all names and everything, too. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, so what is what is kind of the, the plot of of her book? The plot of Kel's first book is, is in essentially her going through her first year of this probationary training, and as as the book as the book progresses, she learns she learns a lot of the same skills that Alana had, but Kel also as not necessarily the subplot. It's kind of like, I guess like a flip side plot to the main one, is that she decides that. Uh, she decides that she's going to stop the bullying among the pages that go through training, because they have they have this tradition 
of, they call it earning your way, which essentially is where the first year pages have to go through and like, oh, I dropped, I left my book in my room. Will you go get my book? And then the page has to go get the book. And yeah. Kel says, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. And because she really enjoys turning conventions on their head. And so she's trying to dismantle the system of kind of, of kind of, I guess like, you, I guess you, you could call it soft bullying, but no bullying is ever really soft. No. But, uh, but she, she works, so she works to break down this custom through her whole first year. In addition to learning how to be a, in addition to doing the same kind of training that Alana did, learning how to fight, how, learning wilderness survival, learning, um, learning, uh, learning arts, learning martial arts. She has to learn how to play an instrument, I think. And the first book uh, for her culminates in their end of the summer training camp, where they have to, where they get pressed into service um, by the military. Well, it's not pressed into service, but they're asked to assist the military of the country in clearing out this den of those of those spiderins, the human-headed spider things, and. She proves during this during that fight that she is that she has what it takes that she's cool-headed in battle that she knows what she's doing she's capable of commanding others and since it's only the first book in the quartet you know she does pass her her final exam or whatever but I mean what's going to be more final of exam than killing a bunch of human-headed spiders so I mean that that would prove anyone's valor in my book. I would take killing human-headed spiders over taking the final exams I had to do for college. Abs in a heartbeat. Who needs to write a thesis? I'll just go kill something. Yeah, yeah. I'll go, well, I'll go kill a monster. I'll be specific. Yeah, that's that's probably an important distinction. Um, yes. So who are who is her cast of supporting characters? Kind of the close ones to her. Yeah. Uh, well, Kel has her flock of sparrows that she that she doesn't necessarily train. Um, but they're, but they're a big, they're a big standby for her in her series. Um, the, the main one they mention is, uh, is the lead female. Her name is Crown. Um, part of why these birds are so smart is because it's kind of like a radius, a radiant effect of Dane's magic. Cause Dane is living in the palace, the palace at this point. And because her ma Dane's magic is so strong, it makes all of the animals in like a mile and a half radius around her smarter. And that includes Kel's birds, which she befriends and then uses as scouts. Nice. Um, yeah, so Kel's got her birds. Um, another one is probably her probably her her mentor figure. Uh, his name is Neil. And he is a he is a very snarky guy. He is, I think he's like four years older than her or something, um, but he's also going through knighthood training at the same stage that she is. And he also is magically talented, but he serves as Kel's guide through a lot of like learning courthood customs or backing her up in fights or helping her out with classes and math and that kind of thing. Um, although he is not her romantic interest, um, and I think, little, little talking point here, I don't think it ever has been confirmed in-universe, but I'm 90% sure that Kel is ace. Well, asexual, not ar not aromantic. But Kel, like, it's a whole point, Kel doesn't want to get married. Like, ever. She's just like, this doesn't interest me, I'm not gonna worry about it. And her parents are like, it's okay, we have three other kids, you're fine. 
Okay. Um, but so Neil is the non-romantic interest who is still very supportive of Kel as she goes through her training. And probably the other main character, and at least in the first book, is Wilden, the stump guy who's in charge of training her. Because um, he's, he's got a lot of issues going on. He's, he's the kind of guy who thinks that being, who thinks that being in pain makes you a stronger warrior. And yeah. in his first appearance in the book, he's recently gotten over, like, he just saved, like, the youngest crown prince and princess from an attack by flying horses that have, like, eagle talons for feet. And so he's got, like, a big, like, slash across his face, and his broken arm is in a sling, and he's not letting it get healed because pain makes you stronger, or whatever. And he take and he takes, I guess, kind of a misguided interest in Kel. Like, he doesn't necessarily want her to fail, but if she's going to succeed, he wants it to be as fair as possible, which means that he spends a lot of time, like, correcting the way in which she holds a bow and arrow, or telling her to... telling her that she needs to run up a hill that everyone else is walking up, or that kind of thing. Okay, so again, yeah. more more just really solid equity here from this from this guy. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I, w- I will say though, he does have he does come to a realization of his actions by the time that the fourth book in the series rolls around. But by that time, it's been like at least like six or seven years since the first book started. So it takes him a while, but he does come to a realization of how much of a jerk he has been. At, at least he's got that, you know? Yes, that's, he does. That's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. So what kind of moves on into the rest of the world from from Kel's series? Well, the next book, um, as in like the next book, or what leads into the next book? The next what part, leads into the next is. book? Like, like, what do we need to know from Kel's series as a whole uh, moving forward in the world? Well, moving forward in the world is that... Um, is that well, the next, the next, uh, well, it's, I think it's called a duology of books. It's a set of two, not a set of four. Okay. Um, but moving on to the next one is that um, in Kel's books, the other countries really start to play a role in in Tordal's history. Um, the islands of Yaman that can that Kel's family spent a lot of time in and that they helped negotiate a treaty with, um, they start to build that relationship with Tordal, and. It, and so it really grows into a more, I guess, a more like global worldview, I guess, of this of this Tordal universe that Tamer Pierce has built. And Kel's books kind of started to open the door towards that, because for the next book, for the next duology, it moves into a whole other whole other country across a whole big sea. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Um, so, what is this next book that we're looking at? Uh, this next book is Trickster's Choice, um, which is the first book in the Trickster duology. And Trickster's Choice follows Alana's daughter, whose name is Allie. I don't want to say who her dad is in case anyone is listening and wants to be mostly spoiler-free, but yes, by this point, Alana is still alive and she has a daughter, and when Trickster's Choice begins, Allie is 17. So, okay, Tamara Pierce doesn't kill off any of her main characters. Like characters right. die, but nice, they're nice. but it's not like, not not the not the titular ones, if that makes sense. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this this duology of books follows Allie, who is Alana's daughter, and they do not get along at all. This is uh, that's 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 always a nice, genuine bit of drama. That's that's yeah. a good good starting point for a for a teenager. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not necessarily like a malicious um, it's not a malicious disagreement between Alana and Allie, mother and daughter. Um, it's more along the lines of. When Allie starts the book, um, she is she's kind of the aimless seventeen year old. She doesn't she doesn't she knows what she wants to do in life, but she doesn't really feel like going to do it yet. And so she's enjoying being seventeen and fancy free and going out to and going and being the dancing queen and stuff at balls and flirting with people and having a social life. And Alana is just really confused and she doesn't understand why this is so important to Allie partially because when Alana was 17 she was in the middle of training for her knighthood and everyone thought she was a guy and guys didn't go out and dance at balls and socialize and flirt and so part of a lot of the tension between Alana and Allie is just because they just have had such different life experiences and Alana doesn't quite get that Allie doesn't want any of what her mom had and that and Allie in turn also doesn't really communicate it to her mother in a way that is in a way that Alana listens to it's kind of it's kind of that thing where like you're talking to your parent and they think and they don't really understand and they think that you're saying things angrily to them and even though you're trying not to be angry and then you get angry and it's that it's that cycle so Okay. They they do still love each other. They just really don't communicate well. They're two different people with very different, different lives. Yes. Okay. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So, uh, so what's yeah. what's Allie's story? Allie's story is that she has a to to quote a certain movie, she has a very particular set of skills. Oh boy. And uh and her skills are spying espionage and subterfuge and she like and she likes knives and daggers and that kind of thing and okay. uh and so, and she wants to go be a spy in the service of king jonathan and her mother tells her that she can't do it because it's too dangerous and so Allie decides to sail off sail along the coast to go visit uh, to go visit family members in the next town up, and she gets attacked and kidnapped by pirates and is put into slavery, and then we travel across the whole ocean to the Copper Isles, which are the fantasy equivalent of India and the Philippines. So she 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 goes on quite the adventure. Oh yeah, and it sounds like a good one too. Oh yeah. So and so Allie's book is about how she's in this whole new land that she doesn't. She's not she knows about it. She's learned a lot about it, but she hasn't ever been there before. And she gets dumped into this country, the Copper Isles, where there is a very it's very it's a, there's there are very thick racial tensions in this country. Like you could cut it with a knife between uh between the whites who are currently in power, um which are called the Luaran, and between the Raka, the the native people of the Copper Isles who have been 
subjugated by by the Luer and the Whites for 200, 300 years by the point by the time that Ali's book starts. And it is not a very coexistent relationship. And the country has been in a lot of a lot of disarray. And but Ali doesn't really care about any of that. She just wants to get out of being a slave and to go home. But uh, she ends up uh, being in, she ends up meeting a, a literal god uh, who is called the Trickster, or Kyprioth, and he offers her a deal. It's not a deal with the devil, it's not a I'm taking your soul if you don't do this kind of thing. But the deal is that if Ali protects uh, this family, the Balatangs, um, who she's currently serving in servitude to, uh, if she protects them for an entire summer, then Kyprioth, the trickster, will just teleport her straight home. No, no questions asked. She's and she is, of course, being a being a being a very cunning and intelligent person is very cautious about doing this. But she decides to take him up on the deal, and so then she has to protect this family, and. They, they, they're, they're apparently a pretty normal family, but of course, because they're associated with a main character, they end up in a lot of trouble. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there wouldn't be a good story without that, right? Oh, yeah. It can't no, just be not. a boring year of guard duty. Oh, yeah. So, not at all. So, um, who are kind of her supporting characters for, for Allie? Allie's support, one of Allie's main supporting characters is of course Kyprioth the trickster. Uh, he's not necessarily a friend, but he's definitely an ally, an ally to Ali, the character. Okay. Uh, he's he's a very he's a very cunning person. Um, when in in this universe, of course, gods can appear however they want to, and when he appears to Allie to talk to her, usually he dresses up as, and as I think the look is called like an elder statesman, like, like kind of like salt and pepper hair and kind of thin. And he, and he's, he's a very tricky character, but at the same time, um, of course he is a God. And it's mentioned at some point that, um, that even though Allie regards him as this ally, like to her, like, like to him, she is just a pawn on a chessboard. That, that she is just another plaything of the gods, and it's not it's not always a very comfortable working relationship. No, I, I can't imagine that. That uh, doesn't sound like the easiest thing in the world. No, he. It's not. It's definitely not the easiest thing in the world. Like he is definitely. Well, she is definitely on his side, but it's not always. It's not always the most beneficial relationship, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those that should probably be, you know, a cautionary tale more than it is. Yeah. Is what it sounds like. Is that it's yeah. not like a healthy thing. I mean, it's I wouldn't say that it's not I wouldn't say that it's like it's an un, it's not an unhealthy relationship, but it's not always a, a beneficial or an equal relationship. Gotcha. She doesn't ever get like taken advantage of or anything but it's definitely an inequality of 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 course power because she is a human and he is a literal god so yeah that does put a damper on the professionalism i guess um yeah. so who else is around her to kind of dampen that 
Oh, yeah. Uh, another, the other, probably, another main character is, uh, is this guy named Nawat, and he is literally a crow. As in, in this world, crows are magical, and if they choose, they can turn into human beings. And this one guy, uh, Nawat, decides to become a human to help Ali learn how to speak the language of the crows, because Kyprioth had wagered with the crows to help Ali in her protecting of the Balatang family. And so Nawat becomes a human to help her out. But then at the same time, then she has to teach him how to become, how to, how to act like a human being. Like, she has to teach him, like, you don't eat bugs unless you are starving and you have no other options. And, like, nice. and, like, this, it, and she has to teach him about what marriage is like, which is really awkward. Oh, and, yeah, I can't even imagine. Yes, and, and, and everyone who has ever read, a, ever, anyone who has ever read a novel or seen a TV series with a romance plot probably knows where this is going by now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he, he provides a very, a very interesting, I guess, perspective on this, on the, on the whole duology, like, as in, like, what, what fights can I really take, what fights can I really feel like I can be a part of, like, is this really my fight to help out with? And at the same time, also a perspective on what it truly means to be human, because in these two books, there are some, there are some definite, like, monsters in human bodies. Um, like, yes, they're completely human, but they're monsters. But then there's also people like Nawat that are, that yes, he is a crow, but he also is in some ways more human than these villainous monsters that occur in the duology. Okay. Oh, there's one more person who I would be, I would be remiss to not mention her. Oh, please. Uh, uh, and this character is, uh, I think her name, her full name is Doveseri, but she's just called Dove. And she is Allie's, uh, she's Allie's, I guess, like, employer. She's the younger lady in the Balatang household. Um, she's got an older sister and a younger sister and brother. But she's the one who Allie is assigned to, for the most part, like, to help take care of. And Dove is incredibly smart. Um, when the book, when the first book starts, I think she's, like, 13 or something. Um, she's not especially, she's not ever, like, described as pretty or beautiful while her older sister is. Um, but Dove is incredibly smart. She loves to play chess. She pays attention to things. And she and Allie really come to a good understanding of... They, ha they have a really good intellectual relationship. And Dove is also really snarky. And she, know and she knows how to connect to people. And she's good at, like, making connections and, like, picking up on, picking up on the red threads on like the on like the wall of crazy that's that that's such a common trope nowadays. Yeah. Okay. What's going to be our fifth book that we're going to look at? Oh, okay. The fifth book uh is actually it's the most recent that Tamara Pierce has written. I think it came out in what's the back of my book say? I think it's I think he about in like 06 or something. But uh but it's set chronologically before all the other books in the Tordal series. And it is called Terrier in the in the Provost's Dog series that Tamara Pierce has written. And it follows uh, Becca Cooper, who is actually uh, George from Alana's first book. Becca is his ancestress. Okay. 
Yeah. And uh, Terrier and Terrier isn't itself. It's it's a it's a really big departure style wise and even to a little bit even to a certain extent genre wise from the rest of the books because Terrier is a book following Becca who is essentially um a, like a, like a rookie policewoman and it's told in the style of journal entries that Becca writes as she's going through her first year of being a rookie in this police force nice. and they're called they're called dogs Okay. So not not necessarily the most positive term, but they own it. So nice. So what's what's her story? Uh, much like Dane, Becca doesn't necessarily have a great backstory. Um, her her dad died when she was young, and her mom had a couple of boyfriends um, who were never especially good to her. Well, to Becca's mom, that is. Um, one of one of Becca's mom's boyfriends in particular um was a member of this gang that was doing a, that was causing a lot of robberies and killing people and things and the police were trying to find them and becca being the being the observant main character that she is um even though at the time she was like eight years old uh she decided to take things into her own hands and she tried to talk to the police, but they wouldn't listen to her. So she went to essentially the chief of police and grabbed his horse's bridle as he was standing in the marketplace and his horse almost ran her over, but she told him like, I can give you the ringleader of this gang. <laughs> and the police chief listened to her. And so she decided after that, that she wanted to be a policewoman. And so a lot of the first book is her trying to going, going through kind of the, kind of the day to day, the day-to-day, -day, I guess, like, routines of being a police officer in a society which really doesn't have a defined, like, police system or really, like, a code of law at this point. I mean, like, they have laws, but they're not really enforced. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a very kind of, I guess, like, nebulous, you could say, footing that the police department has in the city of Chorus, which is where the book is set. Because um, they're still trying to figure out, like, is every like is it okay for police officers to take bribes? Like that's part of the whole economy. It's like it's like how in certain states in the United States, waitresses make less money because they're expected to make up the rest of their income in tips. Well, okay. the the police officers get in this book get paid less money because they're expected to be able to supplement that income with bribes that they receive, which I'm sure just makes them all really good above board cops. Well, some some of them are yes, bad cops, but some of them are just some some of them are I some of them are of the opinion that taking bribes is wrong, but at this point there's not a lot that I can do to try and make it so I don't have to take bribes. Okay, so trapped by the system a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So, what what is what does Becca do once she finds herself in that world? Uh, well, Becca's whole book is well first off i would say that it is in comparison to the other books the rest of the books that we've talked about so far have been have been around uh between up uh, between like 200 and 300 pages uh becca's book including the indexes is 580 pages long Whew, so a so, bit of a jump yeah so it's it's it is a it is a it is a much longer book um 
but it makes up for it makes up for being a doorstop by being a pretty quick read. Um, and Becca's main journey throughout the books, is, throughout, well, throughout her first book, is that uh, one of her friends from childhood uh, had her she had her younger son get kidnapped by by this by this kind of bogeyman figure called the Shadow Snake. And and parents, it, it's a bogeyman figure. Parents use the shadow snake as a reason to tell kids, you know, like, oh, don't go outside after dark. The shadow snake's going to get you. But there is somebody in the city that Becca lives and works in who is actively trying to, who is actively using the name to kidnap and extort things from the common people of the city of Chorus, where Becca lives. And so half of the book Half of the book's main plot is her trying to trying to take down this child kidnapper because they go exclusively after children. And she's trying to take down this child kidnapper. And the other half is that there is essentially a slumlord named Crookshank. And he and he runs this he he fences he fences stolen goods, uh, doesn't pay his workers enough, and but part of it also is that she's trying to take him down because she highly suspects that he's been involved in groups of people going missing and these like people go missing and then these fire opals um which in Tamir Pierce's books have magical properties uh these fire opals are appearing from somewhere within the city of Chorus connected to this 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 slumlord Crookshank and so many and people are dying for possessing them and they're dying in the production of and the mining process and becca is also trying to put that to a stop as well okay nice so so who are your what's her supporting cast uh becca's supporting cast um one of her one of her staunchest allies is her magical cat with purple eyes and his name is pounce i already black, love black cat purple eyes and he is he, he is very very sarca lovingly sarcastic towards her i would say is his attitude okay uh, and of course having purple eyes he is a magical cat and he can talk to becca and he can make himself understood to other people if he so chooses and but he's becca has been his becca has been quote unquote his human for i think like like four or five years at this point uh and but he is able to assist her by you know providing providing a sounding board on whatever whatever plan she's trying to do at the time um an extra lookout in fights there's a point in, during the book when becca has to try and break up a, a brawl inside of a bar and her cat jumps on top of the head of this guy that was going to hit her was going to hit becca in the head and like essentially like claws this guy's eyes out so, battle cat, but he's nice. a normal sized cat for the most part. Okay, at least as far as I remember. Um, so she has her cat, and then the other two main characters are Goodwin and Tunstall, uh, who are her, who are essentially her mentors, her training partners in the police force. Uh, Goodwin is short, and she is very angry because she didn't want to ever have to worry about training a rookie police officer. And she doesn't necessarily hold it against Becca, but she's very, she's a very prickly person. 
although she is also a very staunch and just police officer. Uh, and then, of course, to, contra to contrast that uh, is Tunstall, who is... If, if Goodwin is five feet tall, Tunstall's like six and a half feet tall. And he's friendly, and he's, and he's very kind towards Becca, helps her learn the ropes a lot and stuff. Um, but he, and he, he, wanted to, he wanted to train someone, Goodwin didn't. And they're also, the two of them are the most legendary pair of police officers in this district's police force. And so one of Becca's friends in the, in essentially the hiring department was like, okay, I'm going to swing this for you just this once. And so they gave her the best trainers that they could get their hands on. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what, what does this do? Um, especially since this is a prequel, mm -hmm. what does this do to the world? I would, this world, I think it all, it enhances a lot of the foundations that were set, uh, by the Lioness Quartet, Alan, uh, Alanis books, the first ones we talked about in this, so far in this session. And okay. it, it, it really expands on it. Like we learn a lot about the world before, before Alana really kicked it off. Um, because in Becca's books, there is a woman knight, a legal woman knight, uh, who helps Becca out in a couple of the of, I guess I guess the police missions you could say that she goes on, um, so there so there is a woman knight and we get some insights into how and why it was that the how and why it was that women were forbidden from being knights in the realm of Tordal, um, and it's mentioned in the books that oh there was this cult that grew up, uh, well not cult I guess it's not a moly it's it's not a bad like like murder and sacrifice cult, but it's a cult around based around this aspect of the main the main goddess uh, worshiping her as the mother and saying, oh, it's not right for women to be warriors and things. So it's that it's that kind of start of the misogyny um, that affects that affects definitely affects Alana and Kel and even and even uh, Dane to a certain extent. So it's kind of that beginning of how that starts. And we get to learn a lot about um, a lot about how the common people of Tordal function, um, because Becca is herself a commoner, and the cases that she works are mainly around commoners, and her friends are commoners, uh, her coworkers are from the commoner class as well, and it's that kind of aspect that we did, that we don't really get to see from the other books because everyone else before this series had all been people either of noble blood or who had skills and talents that made them equitable to those of noble blood, like Dane with her magic talents. Okay, that's really that's really cool. Um, so looking at all of these books um, mm -hmm. and kind of this world as a whole, what's like what's the biggest point that you think um, Tamora Pierce is, is making with, with the novels that she's writing in this world? What's kind of like her big point that she's trying to make for for her readers i think i can definitely say that the biggest from my perspective at least i can't speak for i can't speak for whatever tamara pierce might have been wanting to do when she wrote the books but to me her biggest point throughout this whole universe that she's created within the realm of tordal and in surrounding areas like ali's books is that is that women and girls are capable of anything that there is, there's no wrong or right way to be a heroine. You can be, 
someone like that you can be you can be a girly girl heroine like Allie you can be uh, you can be a tomboy like Alana you can be um, that there that there is that there is no wrong or right way to to be a girl or a woman and to be a main character to be a heroine of your own story um, and that and that no matter what that a lot of the no matter what that women and girls are going to be able to overcome whatever life throws at them because she throws a lot at her heroines in these books and they are always able to find a way over it or around it or under it or through it or whatever other directional words you want to use. Awesome. Well, Christina, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for letting me come on. I've had a good time. Yeah, this these are some these are some books I definitely really want to check out. Like I had not heard of these and this has made me at least want to go read go give these a read. Um Do so it. thank you. <laughs> um Christina, where can people find you on the internet? All right. Well, on the internet, people can find me uh, on Twitter. My handle is uh, C Woods Art because Twitter doesn't like people having names that are longer than nine characters. Well, first names that are longer than nine characters. Uh, I'm also on Tumblr uh, at Christina Woods Art. And if you feel like looking me up for my portfolio, I'm also on Behance and currently working to build my portfolio on other websites as well. But right now it's just Behance. You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com, follow us on Twitter at fifthdraw, or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Roosevelt and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening. (laughs) 